when all the world is quiet Someone came and took her lover's life Johanna, Johanna, where are you now? Could it be you're still here somehow? Johanna, Johanna, where are you now? Is it true you're still here somehow? Phantom greetings to every single one of you. Thank you so much for making Paranormal Prowlers podcast part of your day. The tunes, as always, are courtesy of the amazing Bobby Mackey, and I'm your host, Tessa Morrow. So there's a castle in Colorado called Redstone Castle. It's reportedly haunted, and I thought, hey, that might make a neat episode. So I'm doing my research thing, and While doing this, I'm seeing that some of the articles and archives are saying that the location is near Aspen and the town of Redstone itself, while others are saying Manitou Springs. Well, it's not like they're neighboring towns. The distance between them is actually 164, give or take a few miles. So it turns out there are two redstone castles in Colorado, and they are both haunted. So, of course, I must dig deep into the annals of history and talk about both locations, which I have to say is kind of a bit more challenging as to not mix up the two. The first one I want to talk about is located in the fun little town of Manitou Springs, Redstone Castle is also known as the Crawford House. This butte was built back in 1890 on Iron Mountain by William Davis. This Queen Anne stands proudly on 75 acres. Now back in the day, it was a bed and breakfast, but through research I found that it is now privately owned and used as a residence. But maybe someday, you never know, maybe it'll turn right back into a B&B again. I mean, wouldn't that be fun? Now, Redstone Castle is actually made out of redstone. That comes from the local quarries, so the name is quite appropriate. And I think it's pretty neat that the stone itself is local. William and his brother built this mansion to be used as a model home for a development called Manitou Terrace Estates on Iron Mountain. But, unfortunately, it proved to be unsuccessful. I mean, not one single lot sold. Many believed this land to be cursed or haunted, so that may have had something to do with it. Off and on, it sat abandoned for several years, and at one point, the owners hired on a man named Balaam Hawkins to be the castle's caretaker. He moved his family and himself into Redstone Castle, and it didn't take long for the family to start question their sanity and the safety of their new home. Strange things started happening, much to the family's fear and dismay. Unexplained sounds would emanate from the home. Phantom voices that weren't their own. And at times, they would even see full-bodied apparitions. And they weren't the only ones to have encounters. The family dog. Shortly after moving in, started acting erratically and rather on the bizarre side. In the family's words, the dog was, quote, nervous and high strung. One of the scariest things that probably happened in the home to the Hawkins family was that a dog attacks Balaam's wife. 
He shoots and kills the feral dog. And right after this incident, the family started seeing the phantom ravenous dog in the house. They had a terrifying encounter when the dog chased them and they ran in a room, locked the door only to have the dog barking, shrieking and scratching and clawing at the door. Eh, you know, needless to say, the Hawkins family made a quick exit, moving out immediately afterwards. I mean, who can blame them after such an incident? Then in 1908, an eccentric woman named Alice Crawford Snow moved to Colorado and leased the vacant castle. Alice was a spiritualist, a medium. She was an actress. Her sister, Emma, had actually come to these parts a few years earlier. Sadly, Emma had contracted consumption and was hoping the fresh Rocky Mountain air could possibly cure her sickness. It wasn't uncommon then. Many lungers, as they're called, did that, including Freeland Stanley, the founder of the Stanley Hotel. He had tuberculosis, and back then, the most recommended treatment one could do when they found themselves with TB was fresh, dry air and sunlight. Stanley did just that, and his health improved an impressive amount. He was so happy to be alive and grateful for his recovered health that he came back to Colorado every single year up until his death. Now, unlike Freeland Oscar Stanley's luck with gaining his health back, that was not the case for poor Emma Crawford. She died a few years later due to tuberculosis. Before her death, as her health was rapidly declining, she would spend large amounts of her time, when health permitted, taking little nature walks through the mountains, Red Mountain and Iron Mountain in particular, just a few miles distance from one another. I think it's like four or five miles. She was very spiritual and she believed she was being guided by her spiritual guides while on her walks. Emma was so fascinated by her mountainous surroundings that her last wish was after her death for her body to be buried in a special area on Red Mountain. A last wish that her true love, a young man named William Hildebrand, a local railroad engineer, made happen. They were to be married, but before they could make their final vows, tuberculosis made sure that wouldn't happen and took her away from true love, happiness, and a long life. Emma Crawford, at the time of her death, was just 19 years old. She was a baby. And like sister like sister, Alice was spiritual as well. And while at Redstone Castle and walking the same mountain trails as her late sister Emma, Alice believed that the spirits of the Native Americans that once inhabited this land so long ago, well, she believed they were still around. Alice would have many seances in the castle during her time living there. Her goal doing this was to try to reach out and speak and communicate with the Native American spirits. Her mom, Madame Crawford, would often join these seances and claimed that several times during these sessions, she was able to actually make communication with her late daughter, Emma. People who took part in these castle seances say that many times strange things would happen during these seances, such as things moving on their own before their very eyes and hearing eerie, unexplained sounds and voices. Alice started to become isolated and she started acting quite strange. 
So strange that people stopped coming to her house. Even delivery services refused to go to that castle. I ain't delivering no paper, no milk, nothing. It's believed that at one point Alice became possessed or had an attachment by one of the spirits that she made contact with during one or more of her several seances that she's conducted. One night a friend of hers walked into her room to find Alice's bed engulfed in flames and her bed soaked in blood. This was Alice's attempt to rid her body of the spirit. The only way she thought it was possible for the spirit to completely leave her body was to kill herself. In one account, I saw that she was trying to shoot at a spirit that she had seen and in a freak accident, shoots herself. That would kind of explain the blood-soaked bed. And she then tried setting the ghost on fire, hence the fiery bed. Whatever happened, it's one for the bizarre books, and she shortly left the castle after this incident, and she was never seen again. Alive, anyways. Many people have seen her full-bodied apparition in the castle, the property, and Iron Mountain itself. She's a busy gal. And Alice is not alone. People have also seen her sister, Emma. In fact... Emma is somewhat of a legend in these parts, that being Manitou Springs. Every year, close to Halloween, the town holds an annual event. The locals and people from all over take part or watch the activities. It's a coffin race, a tribute to Emma Crawford. Why a coffin race, one may ask? Well, as we know from earlier, Emma was granted her last wish and she was buried on Red Mountain, a place she spent much of her time, her last remaining time here on Earth. She stayed buried there for quite a while, but soon they wanted to make an inclined plane, easy access for people to get up and down the mountain without getting hurt. Well, unfortunately, from what I hear today, the inclined plane is in ruins. But during construction, well, they had to do something, with Emma and her remains, right? So they actually moved the casket. The area they relocated her was not a great spot for a burial, and with the harsh weather elements and what have you, her casket becomes unearthed and eventually went sliding right down the mountainside. In 1929, some youngsters were out and about. They were exploring and playing and what have you, just being kiddos. When they came about casket handles a nameplate bearing Emma's name, and a few human bones. And that's all that was left of Emma and her casket. It's no shocker people have seen her restless spirit roaming around the mountain. In life, while on her walks, she often wore a beautiful red dress, her favorite dress. Many claim to have seen her spirit wearing that same dress. Many refer to Emma Crawford as the Lady of Red Mountain or the Spirit of Red Mountain. And that's why the town holds an annual coffin race. It's a tribute to Emma, a woman who loved the Rockies so much that she wanted to spend eternity there. The town lovingly embraced this interesting history, and I love that they are proud of her and pay respect and tribute to her every single year. I myself have heard of these coffin races, and... I think one of these years, once the stupid COVID has made a hasty, bitchy-ass exit, I'd love to go and watch one of these. 
It's a full-day event, which includes an Emma Crawford parade. The race itself involves a team of five, that being Emma and four mourners in full costume, mind you. And they have to push their coffin 195 yards to the finish line, racing down the streets. They give out awards for certain things like best coffin and many other things. This coffin race is not to be confused with the Frozen Dead Guy Days Festival. Also in Colorado, this one in Nederland, 115 miles or so from Manitou Springs. They have fun and bizarre contests like turkey bowling, the brain freeze contest, the frozen salmon toss, and several others. I think it would be neat to check both of these out at some point. Have you taken part or been to either of these events? The Emma Crawford Coffin Race or the Frozen Dead Guy Days Fest? I'd love to hear all about it. Throw an email. No, toss (laughs) an email my way at paranormal.prowlers.podcast at gmail.com. The second castle I want to talk a bit about, also Redstone Castle, is near the town Redstone known as the Ruby of the Rockies, just south of it, and not too terribly far from Aspen. I saw that not too long ago, this castle became available to buy, being listed in the real estate world for a whopping 19.75 million big ones. Built in 1902 by coal magnate John Cleveland Osgood, the castle was also known as Osgood Castle. Osgood was the founder of Colorado Fuel and Iron Company, and back in the day, they controlled several plants that were scattered all throughout the United States. Its main plant was a steel mill on the south side of my hometown, Pueblo, which is really awesome. You know, I think that's really neat. Every time I'm going to the north side, I pass by it and see it, and it's still up and operating to this very day. As young men... My dad and uncle, who, by the way, I need to do a little shout out, a mini shout out. He owns Red's Alibi right across the street from the state fair. So, you know, if you're in the area and you fancy yourself a beverage, go check it out. Anyways, they both worked there for a short time as youngsters. And guess what? Up and running still to this very day, one of my dearest, nearest and bestest friends actually works there and has for several years. Back to the castle. It stands on 150 acres and is surrounded by intoxicatingly beautiful red cliffs, waterfalls, and even has a horse arena, a carriage house, and so much more. I mean, really, it's no wonder it comes with such a hefty price tag. John Osgood was friends with many people in very high places who would often come and visit him at the castle, such as Teddy Roosevelt who is rumored to have spent many a mornings on the castle's front porch and shoot bighorn sheep right from the porch. Other friends who came include J.P. Morgan, the man who dominated Wall Street, which who upon his death, their flags flew at half staff and the stock market closed for two whole hours as his body passed through New York. The Rockefellers came and went often. And another visitor was Leopold II, King of the Belgians, and ruler of the Congo Free State. Today, Leopold holds the title of the longest reign of any Belgian monarch. Want to guess how many years? 
44 years. Osgood and his wife Alma would throw lavish parties. Alma rumored to be the Swedish countess, but nothing proves this. The ladies would join Alma in the music room, while the men would gather together in the game room and smoke their delicious cigars. And it's due to the cigar smoke that they found out that the castle is haunted. One day, the curator was in John's room. It was a nice day, so she had the windows open and she was in there just working, when suddenly she was overcome by the very strong scent of a cigar. At that time, she was the only person in the home, and no one else was on the property, and I believe it's a no-smoking kind of deal, but I'm not too positive. Since then, it's happened a lot where, out of nowhere, this phantom smell just kind of comes, stays a short while, and leaves as quickly as it arrived. Throughout the years, people who have stayed here have shared that they experienced odd things, things they just simply could not explain. Every skeptic's nightmare. (gasps) Legend has it that spirits hover and roam in a secret passageway that connects the nursery to the servant quarters. It's said that the present owner and innkeeper, they swear up and down, left and right, top to bottom, that this establishment is not haunted and that it's 100% ghost-free. That hasn't stopped visitors from hearing things and seeing things, including, on many occasions, a full-bodied apparition of a man, many believe it to be John Cleveland Osgood himself. I've been to places where they swear up and down that there's no activity or spirits, and the phantom residence proved otherwise. And I get it, you know, some might not want the location that they spent their blood, sweat, tears, and money associated with ghosts, spooks, phantoms, ghouls, and wraiths. But sometimes they have no choice. Me, personally, no shocker, I love those kind of places. I gravitate towards those kind of places. Hmm, either stay at some hotel everyone and their baby mama and grandma has been to, or at one old historic joint with a few spectral residents. No-brainer for Tessa Morrow. And... In 2021, so many people are more accepting and curious and wanting to know more about the paranormal, supernatural, the unknown, and the unexplained. I say embrace your haunted locations. People will come. I'll come. Legend goes that John's first wife, Irene, a compulsive liar, was having an affair with a man, Captain Harvey. In those days, divorce was not a normal thing, not common like today. It was frowned upon, and many times people who dared to leave an unhappy marriage, well, they were disowned from their families, shunned from their friends, and wasn't pretty. It was deemed scandalous. So John came up with a story that Irene was on vacation in New York, and sadly, she was run down by a runaway horse and killed. Both parties, John and Irene, stood by this story until Irene's real death in 1922. And some may think, why would Irene be okay with this story about a fake death? Well, I could only imagine that divorce was deemed scandalous. What about adultery? What about straying from your marriage and being with another man or woman? I think that would even be more scandalous. So it makes sense that she would keep her lips tight about this incident as well. So just to give you an idea of what a liar this woman was, Irene was from Virginia. 
but she claimed she was from England. She was born in 1861, but later she would change her birth year to 66, then 69, then incredibly enough, 75. I couldn't find much on this location, but I just had to mention it. Two redstone castles in Colorado, both haunted, one by Alice Crawford, the other by John Osgood. And it makes sense because John Osgood, once he lost control of the company, he left. But then he came back and stayed at the castle up until his death, dying in that castle. So it makes sense that, hey, he's here, you know. In both instances, they've seen apparitions, full-bodied, Alice and Emma, and then John smells of a cigar, what have you. So pretty neat stuff. Did you enjoy this week's episode? Yes! Listen to the others, you guys. They are equally phenomenal. Haven't heard every single one yet? No need to cry, baby. Just head on over to any podcast platform such as Podbean, Player FM, GeoSavin, Deezer, Apple Podcast, Podcast Republic, wherever you may roam to listen to your other phenomenal podcasts, you'll probably find Paranormal Prowlers podcasts lurking in the background. This week's special city shout out goes to Manhattan, New York, Southport, North Carolina, Washougal, Washington, Witham, England, and Methuen, Massachusetts. As always, you guys, thank you so much for stopping by. It's very greatly appreciated. Don't forget to subscribe. Throw a review my way. Email me if you have a story to share about visiting these castles just mentioned or anything else spooky for that matter. Paranormal.prowlers.podcast at gmail.com. And I must say real quick, when it comes to reviews, it's happened already a couple times where... I'm never told about new reviews, good or bad. And so I, because there's so many podcast platforms. And so I just happen to subscribe to one to listen to some podcasts while I'm doing my own thing, you know, working out or going on a walk or whatever. And I look that, hey, there's a review under mine. And so I'm going to read that right now. It's from that UFO podcast. And it's actually my friend Andy McGrillen, who was on a few months back. Andy writes, Fun, laid back, and spooky, this podcast tells and retells tales from around the world of the paranormal. Tessa is such a welcoming and natural host with some really fascinating guests. Really enjoy listening to the show. So big shout out to Andy. Thank you. And you guys should check out his podcast called That UFO Podcast. You could probably find him anywhere in the podcast world, just like mine. So throw a review my way and maybe email me. Let me know you sent it and I'll find it and then I will read it on here. So you guys, as always, we will see you next week.